Hey, everybody. Brian here. As I mentioned on yesterday's show, we're rolling out an ad-free version of this podcast. You can subscribe to the ad-free premium feed by clicking the first link in the show notes under the episode description. I'll have more details about the new feed at the end of the show today after the long reads. So do listen to the end today to learn more. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, March 8th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Senator Warren proposes breaking up big tech. Airbnb buys Hotel Tonight. Why the big platforms are taking down vaccine content. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. As a part of her presidential campaign, Senator Elizabeth Warren today proposed a wide range of tech regulation policy proposals that include breaking up some of the tech giants by rolling back recent acquisitions and mergers at the likes of Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Quoting from a Medium post titled, Here's How We Can Break Up Big Tech, the senator wrote, quote, In the 1990s, Microsoft, the tech giant of its time, was trying to parlay its dominance in computer operating systems into dominance in the new area of web browsing. The federal government sued Microsoft for violating anti-monopoly laws and eventually reached a settlement. The government's antitrust case against Microsoft helped clear a path for Internet companies like Google and Facebook to emerge. The story demonstrates why promoting competition is so important. It allows new groundbreaking companies to grow and thrive, which pushes everyone in the marketplace to offer better products and services. Aren't we all glad that now we have the option of using Google instead of being stuck with Bing? Weak antitrust enforcement has led to a dramatic reduction in competition and innovation in the tech sector. Venture capitalists are now hesitant to fund new startups to compete with these big tech companies because it's so easy for the big companies to either snap up growing competitors or drive them out of business. The number of tech startups has slumped. There are fewer high-growth young firms typical of the tech industry, and first financing rounds for tech startups have declined 22% since 2012. We must ensure that today's tech giants do not crowd out potential competitors, smother the next generation of great tech companies, and wield so much power that they can undermine our democracy, end quote. The senator goes on to note how half of e-commerce currently flows through Amazon, and 70% of internet traffic goes through Google or Facebook. And she specifically mentions the acquisitions of Instagram, WhatsApp by Facebook, Diapers.com by Amazon, DoubleClick, and even Waze by Google, and proposes legislation that would designate large tech platforms with more than $25 billion in revenue as, quote, platform utilities. Quoting from her post again, These companies would be prohibited from owning both the platform utility and any participants on that platform. Platform utilities would be required to meet a standard of fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory dealing with users. Platform utilities would not be allowed to transfer or share data with third parties, end quote. So I guess we're about to find out if the so-called tech backlash has any sort of political constituency, at least among Democratic primary voters. Airbnb is acquiring discount hotel booking app Hotel Tonight for an undisclosed sum. Hotel Tonight is nine years old, frequent podcast advertiser, was reportedly profitable and was valued at $463 million in a March 2017 funding round. What's in it for Airbnb? Well, look at it in a certain light, and Airbnb 
is in the hotel booking business already, of course. And recently, it's been trying to position itself as a so-called end-to-end travel platform. More on that in a second. First, quoting from BuzzFeed. You can already reserve rooms in boutique hotels, bed and breakfasts, hostels, and resorts on Airbnb. Adding Hotel Tonight will make it easier for people to find hotels to stay in at the last minute when home hosts are already booked, the company said. Quote, nearly 90% of our guests who first used Airbnb to book a hotel room and returned to our platform for a second trip then booked a home, according to Airbnb. A big part of building an end-to-end travel platform is serving every guest, whether they plan their trip a year or a day in advance, Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky said in a statement announcing the acquisition. With Hotel Tonight, the company, quote, will offer guests an unparalleled last-minute travel experience that provides unique, memorable hospitality on every trip, on any schedule, at any time, end quote. But there's a deeper game here, one that we haven't really covered before. It's easy to think of Airbnb as the creator and main exemplar of its market, but in reality, it is competing with the entire hotel and travel leisure industry. So even if there is not a significant lift to its Uber, that doesn't mean that Airbnb owns the category it's actually competing in. Far from it. Among the many enormous companies that could be seen as Airbnb's rivals is the 800-pound gorilla Booking Holdings, nay Priceline. Quoting from Corey Weinberg in The Information, On its last earnings call, executives at Booking Holdings tried to compare their company more directly with Airbnb. They said Booking pulled in more than $1 billion in Airbnb-style inventory, stays in private homes, essentially, in the third quarter last year. That would mean Booking took in slightly less than Airbnb itself in that category. Booking.com executives often talk up their ability to offer a broad swath of lodging from high-end hotels to bungalows. The company hired a well-respected Airbnb executive a year and a half ago to build up that side of its business. It also looked at buying Hotel Tonight three years ago, the information previously reported, but passed, end quote. Weinberg also notes that Airbnb is increasingly moving onto Booking's turf in its effort to be this end-to-end travel platform. Airbnb has even hinted at getting into flights in some way. Also, interestingly, as Airbnb prepares to go public, there are hints that revenue numbers and the number of hosts on the Airbnb platform is growing more slowly as the company matures. So either the rent-my-house market is saturating or increasing regulations from municipalities are biting into Airbnb's traditional business. Thus, it is looking elsewhere to juice continued growth. From my I-didn't-know-this-existed kind of, but hey, super interesting anyway file, Turnitin is a developer of AI software that checks for plagiarism. I believe I've heard of the company now and then when they out some major journalism or celebrity plagiarism case, but apparently they're used all the time these days in colleges and places like that. The company was founded by four university students back in 1998. The founders had to bootstrap because back then no one would give them money for this idea. So they had to get cash flow positive ASAP and bootstrap for most of the life of the company. Today, Turnitin was acquired by media conglomerate Advanced Publications, the company that also owns Condé Nast, for $1.75 billion. At that price tag, the deal is larger than the total amount invested in education tech startups in 2018, which saw $1.45 billion flow into EdTech last year. 
So I guess there's big money in catching liars and word thieves. Facebook has announced that it will curb vaccine misinformation by reducing the ranking of anti-vaccine pages and groups, halting recommendations for those pages, rejecting ads for those pages, and more. Again, I wanted to flag this not to weigh in on this topic on any side of the debate, but to highlight something interesting. You'll notice that a lot of platforms have been acting swiftly around vaccination topics and content. Pinterest straight up banned the topic entirely last month. This seems odd because there's a lot of other controversial topics that platforms like these don't want to wade into or drag their feet on adjudicating because they don't want to get into any sort of editorial or curatorial brouhaha. So why is vaccine stuff different? Well, there has been some recent legislative noise around this. You might have seen that teenager that testified before Congress about getting vaccinated when he turned 18 and how his mom was convinced to join the anti-vax cause because of online content. And quoting BuzzFeed, Following a measles outbreak in the Pacific Northwest in January, California Representative Adam Schiff sent Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Google CEO Sundar Pichai a letter that outlined concerns with the way the big tech platforms surface anti-vaccine content and urged them to take action. Last month, after inquiries from BuzzFeed News, YouTube said it would prevent channels that promote anti-vax content from running advertising. The company said explicitly that such videos fall under its policy prohibiting the monetization of videos with, quote, dangerous and harmful content, end quote. And it's that last bit that I've heard through the grapevine about. It's the lawyers. Apparently, the lawyers have told these platform companies straight up that this particular topic is a potential topic of liability mass destruction. Again, that phrase, dangerous and harmful content. There is already legal precedent for liability if platforms do not take down content that threatens or implies imminent danger or harm to the broader public. In a sense, it's the terrorism content example. So apparently, the lawyers have warned these companies that all it would take would be some measles outbreak, say, to happen and infect tens of thousands of people. And then if those people who got sick or died sued the platforms for hosting content that they would claim led to a drop in vaccinations in a given area, if that were to happen, the potential liability would be so massive that it could wipe a company out. Yes, even a company as massive as Pinterest or even Facebook. Time for the weekend long reads. No podcast recommendation this week because I haven't had time to explore any new shows this week. Busy week for me. But first up for the long reads, thank you to listener Joshua who tipped me off to this story. We've covered some of the AI backlash coming from within Silicon Valley recently. Employees at both Google and Microsoft and Amazon to a certain extent have been circulating letters and organizing internal protests about AI projects at those companies most especially as they relate to weapons. Google, for example, backed away from the Pentagon's so-called Project Maven, if you'll recall, after employee pushback. The problem is, even a decade ago, as a software engineer, if you went to a tech company, you knew you were signing up to do a certain sort of work. And if you signed up for, say, a defense contractor, you knew you were contributing to a specific other sort of work. But increasingly, as AI and autonomy come into their own, these technologies will logically be of use to law enforcement and militaries, as well as other applications. 
And an argument can be made that if you're, say, an American technology company, there is nothing wrong with contributing technologies that will improve your own nation's national defense, especially in light of what we've also spoken about before in terms of the increasing fear that AI is a zero-sum game and whatever nation-state rockets to the forefront of AI will have an almost insurmountable strategic and military lead over others. So I point you to this piece from War on the Rocks, entitled The Hypocrisy of the Technomoralists in the Coming Age of Autonomy. Quoting from the piece, The Pentagon's clear policy should reduce the concerns of AI engineers. Both sides should remain alert to the promise and perils of the technology. Unless we can test and develop AI, the major driver of the emerging seventh military revolution today, we will be ceding distinctive advantages to less constrained competitors. This may end up making war far less humane and far more costly for the military and to civilian populations. Were the techno-moralists to win their campaign, they would be responsible for the higher chance of U.S. national security interests being placed at risk due to critical vulnerabilities that are attacked by less morally burdened competitors, end quote. Again, like the vaccine stuff, I present this piece not as advocacy for one side of this debate or the other. I can actually sympathize with both sides of this debate. But as it is an important debate going on right now in tech, I wanted to highlight what I thought was a thoughtful summation of one side of the argument. Next, looking at AI under a different lens, The Verge has a look at how artificial intelligence will revolutionize the way video games are developed and played. Researchers are only now beginning to bring the advances in deep learning and machine learning, the stuff that has given us self-driving cars, computer vision, and natural language processing, to game development. And it could give us more sophisticated games that can respond in real time, give us characters that can evolve as you spend time with them and they have experiences in-game, and much more cool stuff that we probably can't even imagine yet. Gizmodo has a look at the digital hoarders, those people who collect digital troves of literally everything. I mean, everything from Tumblr sites to medieval manuscripts to terabytes of text files. There's even a 120,000-strong subreddit, r forward slash digital hoarder. Check out the Gizmodo piece to go down the rabbit hole of a community of people who go down rabbit holes for fun and passion every day. Among the meal delivery services that have struggled of late or failed outright, I mentioned last month that Munchery shut down completely. I sometimes think it's worth highlighting failures so that we can learn lessons from those failures. So check out the Fast Company deep dive into what went wrong at Munchery. TLDR, quote, too much VC money, an inflated valuation, growing competition, and a business that really only worked in San Francisco, end quote. And finally, a look from the MIT Technology Review at perhaps the most dangerous piece of malware out in the wild right now. It's called Triton. It was first discovered in the Middle East a couple years ago, but it's spread everywhere since. And the malware is designed to take over the industrial systems that are in place to prevent things like natural gas plant explosions, petrochemical plant leaks and explosions. This malware has the potential to possibly cause absolute industrial disasters that could kill thousands of people. And hackers are now using Triton to target companies in North America. Not a pleasant note to end the day on. Sorry about that. 
But here is some exciting news. From almost day one of this podcast, people have been asking me for an ad-free version of the show. Well, today we're going to launch one. It will cost $5 a month, and you can subscribe to it very simply. The very first link in the show notes today says subscribe to the premium ad-free podcast feed. If you tap on that, you can subscribe in like a couple super simple steps right inside your podcast app itself. Super easy. You can even use Apple Pay or whatever. If you listen on a desktop, the link to subscribe is kimberlite.fm slash ride home. Yes, we've partnered with a new company called kimberlite.fm to set up this premium feed. They don't do anything other than work with podcasts to set up subscription feeds. They take a super small cut, so the vast majority of the subscription will go to us. And you'll get an email when you sign up that will allow you to manage your subscription super simply over time, and you can cancel at any time. All right, so why pay $5 a month for a premium feed? Well, a few reasons. First, maybe you just appreciate this show being a part of your life every day. Maybe you just want to give me a tip of appreciation, and indeed, I would appreciate that. As you know, we haven't gotten to the point yet where we can afford to bring on Chris or someone like him to help me out full time. So every day, while I do lean on the tech meme editors to find and organize the most important stories of the day, it is all just me actually putting the show together. I read all the stories. I write the script. I record the show. I edit the show. And that's actually the biggest time suck of the day. And I get that all done every single day, hopefully by 5 p.m. So yeah, if you just wanted to say thanks for the hard work, if you get value out of this show every day, I would certainly thank you. But speaking of getting value, so I crunched the numbers like I did earlier this week, and each show is about 19 minutes long on average. So if you listen to me faithfully every day, then you're spending 570 minutes with me every month, or nine and a half hours. Do you watch nine and a half hours of Netflix every single month? Do you listen to nine and a half hours of Spotify? Most times you do, I'm sure, but sometimes not. Well, $5 is less than what you pay to those guys, and I hope you get as much value out of this show or maybe even more. And I designed this show to be useful, right? I hope this show keeps you informed, but I also designed it to be useful in a super efficient way, like in and out. 15 to 20 minutes and you're caught up on what you missed, that's part of the value of the show, right? Sort of TLDR as a service so you can get on with your life. Well, crunch the numbers again. Each show has on average two and a half minutes of ads. So if you listen to every episode every month, that's 75 minutes each month you're listening to ads. An hour and 15 minutes. So if time is money, would it be worth $5 to save an hour and 15 minutes of your time every month? There are some other perks to the premium feed. I'll post the show there first every day. It's not like I'll delay the free version of the show any, but just functionally in my workflow, the way it'll work is I'll upload and compose the show first on the premium feed, hit publish there, and then upload and compose the show on the free feed second. So it won't be a super big deal, but you will be getting the show sooner if you subscribe to the premium feed. And we're going to add some other perks down the road, like a newsletter that collects the links to the long reads and maybe all the links from the whole week in one convenient email, and a bunch of other stuff going forward to be announced. And yes, some of the weekend bonus episodes will be on the premium subscriber feed only. Not all of them, and in fact, I'll start making exclusive episodes for subscribers very, very slowly, 
And I promise that there will always be some bonus episodes available on the free feed every month. But if you want to make sure you hear every single episode, you should consider becoming a subscriber. So, yeah, bottom line, this is us testing a hypothesis. And that hypothesis is that we're providing content so valuable that some of you might be willing to pay a little bit for that value. I would say the cliche thing about how you can spend more than $5 just going to get a latte at Starbucks. But seriously, if this show is a valuable part of your daily routine, do me a favor and at least give the subscription premium feed a try this month. You can always cancel it later, but if you find it streamlines the utility and entertainment that I try to serve up every day, even just a little bit, maybe you'll help support that effort. Again, link in the show notes to pay and subscribe with like three taps inside your podcast app itself. No need to write down an RSS feed and manually enter it. Your podcast app should auto-subscribe with a single tap from you. And if you listen on a desktop or outside of an app, the link is kimberlite.fm slash ride home. Thank you to those of you that choose to show your support and run this experiment with us. If you do sign up, don't be shy about tweeting to me about it this weekend. Talk to you on Monday. 